let's get into the Word. Uh, I will say something uh, that's bugging the death out of me online, and I'm not, not suggesting anybody here is doing it, but don't get into it if you do. There's a lot of attention out of Christians on this whole thing because they believe or want to argue or suggest, and maybe it's even true, I don't really know enough to fight about it, um, that this whole thing is a sign of times, and uh, that's fine, whatever, but look, this, people are dying. Like, this is a, the last thing Christians need to do is start getting gleeful online over a, a war where people are suffering and dying and, and hurting. So we should be, if anything, mourning and praying while still worshiping and celebrating that he will come, all right, when he's good and ready. So Job chapter 1, grab your Bible and go there. Job is right before Psalms. So Psalms is in the middle. It's the biggest one. So go there and turn back a little bit. Um, you're going to need a Bible, like I always say. Uh, some of this will be up on the screen, but not necessarily all of it. But there's tons of Bibles back there. So grab one, take one, take one with you, take four with you, give them out. We have tons of them. Um, but the main reason you need a Bible is because you need a Bible, just period. Like you need to, you need to go out of here with God's Word and not having observed something on a TV screen or else how are you going to share it? And like Josh already said, there's note sheets back there if you want to write something down. There's pens. The notes are not for you. The notes are so you can share it with somebody else. Um, so we are moving through the Bible chronologically following the story of God. Uh, and I say chronologically because the Bible is not chronological. The Bible is a library. I mention this every week. It is a collection of books that are categorized just like any library. But we are going to cover all through it, but we're going to follow a storyline of God, and that's what we've been doing thus far. So, so far, that story we've looked at has been the Trinity, God before creation, then how God created all things, how God created man, how man chose uh, self over God, how man chose to rule himself and rule his own domain without God, and as a result, sin enters the world, death enters the world, but God makes a promise that the seed of a woman will provide salvation. Her first child, Cain, kills Abel, uh, and the murder and death begins to enter the world on full scale. The lineages continue, the chaos continues, um, God's promise continues through Seth, another of her children, and the seed goes on as well. But then we come to Noah, we talked about that last week, where God wipes the earth clean, but the seed continues through Noah. And now we're jumping out of Genesis, but that's because most people, remember chronological, most people believe that Job lived sometime after Noah and before Abraham. So that's why we're jumping over to Job. So you're going to see us, we're going to jump a fair amount once we get out of the first few books. But, but this is a jump for the moment. So go to Job, uh, and we're going to ask the question, does God ordain pain? Does God ordain pain? Um, tough question. Uh, ordain means to order or decree something. Does God order or decree pain? We're going to look at it from two different points. What if you suffer emotionally? Is he still worthy of praise? What if you suffer physically? Is he still worthy of praise? So that's going to be the two ways we look at it. So. Remember, it's the story of God here, not the story of man, okay? It's the story of God here, not the story of man. And I'll go ahead and challenge you with this right up front, because we can answer this question at least in this way. He did for his son. 
Does God ordain pain? He did for his son. We can say that right up front. So Job chapter 1, look at verse 6. Let's read there. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing. God, I say it all the time, and I mean it all the time. I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. I'm here to learn from your word. It's a privilege to stand here and hold a microphone, but, but uh, Lord, it's your word. It's not, not anything from me, I hope. I don't want it to be. I want you to speak. I want to learn as well from what your word says. And thank you for the opportunity to have it, to hold it, to share it, not just me, all of us, with wherever we go and whatever we do. And I pray that that's exactly what we do with it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I have a friend who, you probably know this guy, actually not literally, but this type guy, who uh, always has something wrong. Like Every time you talk to him, something is wrong. Every time something is wrong. Even if he says, if you ever ask how he's doing, good, but, you know, there's always something wrong. And it usually starts out like this way. I know that others have it worse than I do, but. I hear that all the time. I know I know others have it worse, but blah, blah, blah. Is that how it works? I mean, most of you guys probably know, but Molly and I lost a dog this week uh, that we would had for 13 years. So obviously there's sadness in our home. But that's nothing compared to our friends, uh, James and Tracy Morrow, when they found out that she had cancer. Can that actually compare? And, and that probably has nothing to compare on a friend of ours, Rebecca, who several years back had a five-year-old son who shot himself uh, accidentally with a gun in the home, killed himself. Uh, maybe that's got nothing on our Molly and I's five family members who were viciously and brutally murdered uh, to such a degree, three of them being children, to such a degree that there were only three caskets. For five people. Or how does that compare to Ukraine? You know, is that how it works? Is that, is that how it works? Like, how do you grade? How do you grade suffering? What's worse? What makes worse? You know, if you're honest. And the real question is not whether it's worse or less. What's the real question? Why? Yeah. That's the one we're all wondering why. He said, have you ever have you considered my servant Job? Man, think about this for a second. Have you considered my servant Job? Like we all, I feel like growing up in, in the faith anyway, we want that. We want God to honor us like we're a champion. Yes, God, honor me. Like, but we also don't realize what God intended by making that statement. He intended to bring glory to himself, not Job. If you celebrate Job in the story of Job, you miss the point of Job. You know, he was bringing glory to himself, not to Job. And honestly, in my opinion, those are probably the scariest words in the Bible. Just just being honest with you, if you're a believer anyway. God's glory is not gained by how much blessing we manage. Listen to what I'm saying to you right now. God's glory is not gained by how much blessing we manage, but how much suffering we endure and still worship him. 
how much suffering we endure and still worship him. That's where his glory is lined out. So if you grabbed a sheet, that's fine. If you didn't, either way, I always give you a general thought to keep in mind. So this is it. If God's sovereign over our pain and suffering, then how we respond to it will display what we really believe about him being worthy of worship. All right, and it's on the sheet if you want to relook it. So let's look at this first thing. What if you suffer emotionally? Is he still worthy? So Job chapter 1, verse 6, let's read. And I'm going to cover some chunks at a time, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? So uh, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Remember, that's God saying that, by the way. Isn't that a pump on your resume, coach? You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's God saying that. Nine, verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Like, you protect him, God. Of course, of course he fears you. You bless the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. By the way, that's a key little phrase. Do you see verse 11? Satan said, stretch out your hand and touch him. It's almost like he's trying to tempt God. And God says, he's in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So you can, all that he has is fine, but not him personally. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Probably jumping up and down and doing backflips. Job is a very God. I'm not going to read all the rest in this section, but it tells you Job is a very godly man, and he's recognized by the whole community that way. It tells you that he is super wealthy, perhaps the wealthiest person in the East, at least. At the time, it says that. He has seven sons, three daughters, um, who are most likely adults, by the way the context reads in there. And then all at once, it says these Sabaeans which the Sabaeans are the people of Saudi, Saudi Arabia area. That doesn't mean they're Saudis. This is way before all that, but that region. So these Sabaeans still all of his oxen and his donkeys that were plowing fields and kill the servants that were doing it. And then at the same time in another area, fire falls, it says, from God in heaven, which is an interesting statement. Fire falls from the sky and kills his sheep and all the servants that were with him. And then at the same time in another area, the Chaldeans, which are the people of Babylon, the, again, way down the road, but that's the people group, that's the area. The Chaldeans steal all of his camels and kill the servants that are with them. And if that isn't bad enough, at the same time in another area, a tornado collapses a house on top of his children and kills all of them. Uh, we know Satan steals, kills, and destroys. That's a pretty good example of it. We know he steals, kills, and destroys. We know Satan can possess. We know Satan can influence. But can Satan cause fire to fall from the sky? Might mess with your theology a little bit today. I'm just reading the word. Can Satan cause fire to fall? Can Satan cause a tornado? 
I'm just reading. But remember, God identified the person and set the rules. God identified it and set the rules. Satan's on a leash, you could say, but he's allowed to bite. About that for a minute. He's on a leash, but he but he's allowed to bite. And this doesn't mean that every storm is from Satan. In fact, just the opposite. It means ultimately no storm is from Satan. He might be allowed, might be allowed to cause one at times. Um, look at verse 20. And listen, today's, to me, is a heavy but encouraging day. So some of this that you're going to hear today, you might have to wrestle with a little bit. But that's okay because it's God's word, not what David said. That's why I said you need a Bible. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose in response to this, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and what? Worship. Do not miss that. That is probably one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible. He is mourning all of those actions that he's doing. He's heartbroken. He's tore up inside. He's not going, well, God, good for you. He's not doing all that. He's ripped. His guts are ripped out. But he immediately worships God on his, on his face. And he said, this is his intent of his heart. Naked I came from my mother's room, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and what, what does it say? The Lord has taken away. We just read that it was Satan that did it, but look what he said. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong, nor does he blame Satan. So just hold on to that thought. Trusting that God's plan is bigger than you gives meaning to suffering even if you don't see it. Trusting that God's plan is bigger. It's like the missionary who goes to another country to plant a church or to grow a church and his family's killed and maybe even he's killed before anything happens. But decades later, a whole church grows there. There's countless stories of that in history. You can look them up yourself. Purpose and pain will be a continuous thread through Scripture. Joseph is a great example we'll get to. Um, but all the way through Scripture, there is this wrestle with the purpose and pain. And it continues right here. What if you suffer emotionally? Is he worthy? Job suggests. What if you suffer physically? Is he worthy? Watch this. Job chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read a chunk here, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down. Repeat, just like I told you before, God. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, man? (laughs) Twice. There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Look at this. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone, his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. Yeah, he's got his health, God. You take his health away, it'll all change. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, what? He's in your hand, only spare his life. So once again, Satan says, stretch out your hand. Once again, God says that he's in your hand, 
but he sets the terms, only spare his life. So verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. The man is covered head to toe in, in sores. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Wow, how powerful an image is that? The itching and the suffering is so bad that he's taking uh, rough-edged pottery to scratch his body with. Um, then his wife said, imagine what he looks like. You know what I'm saying? And we throw this woman under the bus pretty hard if you've ever heard the Job talk before. But man, let's give her a little grace. I would be wondering... You know what I mean? Like, what is going on? Her whole family's gone. All of her home is gone. All of her wealth is gone. And now her husband is suddenly covered head to, unnaturally from head to toe in sores and sitting in ashes. Like, he just fell and worshipped God for what happened. And as a result, he's covered in sores. Like, I would be, okay, something's going on. Then his wife said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Are you still claiming that you've done nothing wrong? Like, admit your sin here, dude. Curse God and die, man. If you're not going to admit what, you're, what you've done, if you're going to hold to your integrity, then just, you know what, tell God to go away and die and you're, die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. What he means by that is, we know God. Like, we know, we know him. You're talking like all these other women that don't know. You should know better. You should know better because we know him. He says, shall we receive good from God? Well, watch this. And shall we not receive what? It's in your Bible. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So besides still honoring God for his suffering, Job doesn't even give Satan credit. For what Satan has done. How infuriating that must be. You know what I'm saying? Even the evil. Listen. Even the evil done to him. Is something that he considers God worthy of worship for. Put your brain around that. Even the evil done to him is something that he considers God worthy of worship for. So does God ordain pain? Some quickly push back and might say. Well Jeremiah 29 11 you know. Know the plans I have for you for prosper and not to harm you. But put that verse back in context. He brought Babylon to destroy Israel and to take them into exile before he made that statement. He did. Another side of the argument, one of my favorite verses just because it's powerful is Psalm 119 verse 71. I keep this in my head periodically. It's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Think about that. It's Good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your rules and your ways. William Lane Craig said, people tend to naturally assume that if God exists, then his purpose for human life must be happiness in this life. But the chief purpose of life is not happiness, but the knowledge of God, intimacy with God. Here Satan controls three things. We looked at it for the purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying. He controls people's. Like these nations, these people groups, he controls them. He controls unnatural acts, miracles, you could say, fire falling from the sky. And he controls natural acts, a tornado. But again, with permission. So the question is, why would God permit it? We say that God is sovereign. I'm sure we've all said this. 
when we see a storm, for instance, or something tragic that happens in the world, especially if it's a storm type thing. And we always hear, it didn't take God by surprise. Didn't take God by surprise. You know, God's sovereign. It didn't catch him off guard. Uh, what does that imply? That's a, that's a fun little phrase to think, to say, but stop and think about what you're implying if you say that. If you tell somebody who lived through Hurricane Katrina and lost everything, including their own family, and you say, didn't take God by surprise, what are the implications of that? At the very least, it implies that he permitted it. Know what I'm saying? But has he ordained that it would, has he ordered that it would occur? And if so, why? Why would he do, like, why would he do that? Well, for over 30 chapters, the book of Job wrestles with that question. Why, why, why? And Job is not a hero. Job gets mad, frustrated, angry, bitter, wants to die. He's back and forth. Uh, but he stays faithful in his battle with why, 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 why. And after 30 chapters of listening to him cry about why, God responds with hundreds of questions for Job. You can go read it in your own time. Hundreds of questions for Job. And they're all asking, where were you, buddy? You know, God's point is there's thousands and there's thousands of things you don't understand. You just take for granted that they occur. Like whatever coyotes are out here on South Mountain, they're eating something. They're finding food. They're doing whatever they do. Bears on Four Peaks or wherever, they're getting what they need. You know, uh, the elk up in Flagstaff are finding what they need. Hey, there's oxygen. When's the last time you thought about that? When's the last time you stopped and thought, man, I'm breathing right now. That's amazing. God, he, he's saying there's tons of things that happen all the time. You don't pay any attention to that. You pay no attention to that. You pay attention when something goes wrong. Now, all of a sudden, trust starts to wave. Now you want to question him. Have you considered my servant Job, man? Think about the phrase. It, it says something here. Who's witness to all this? Did you, did you notice that? I read it quick. But who's witness to all of this? Not most people think Moses wrote the book of Job, but he wasn't there. It says, when the sons of God came to present themselves, Satan came among them. And this whole conversation between God and Satan is that term sons of angels, he's referring to angels. I mean, sons of God, he's referring to angels. So you have this moment where all of the angels come to present themselves to God, and so comes Satan. Where have you been? I've been on the earth. So wherever this is occurring, it's in God's realm, so to speak, because he's not saying, because they're not on the earth. He's been on the earth is what he's saying. So the angels are a witness to this. God makes this statement about him right there in front of the angels. So God uses us for reasons and purposes beyond what we even know. You ever thought you might be a witness to an angel? I'm just, you know. How can Molly still worship a God she's not even seen like we see him? You know, I don't know. We may say that. Turning to Jesus, giving your life to God will make your life so much easier and so much better. And I've heard all of these evangelistic pitches, but that's not true. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple 
unless you renounce all that you have, perhaps even your family if necessary, and that you take up a cross, which means die. You know, Jesus said, the world will hate you because of me. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. The word witnesses, martyrs. And his disciples all died that way as martyrs. An inmate in a prison in Georgia that I was hanging, spending a lot of time with in discipleship, he said, you know, it seems like Job is all about a relationship with God through suffering. Man, that's a great way to put it. It's, it's a relationship with God through suffering. Would you accept those terms to have a relationship with God? God said, hey, we're going to be tight. We're going to be family. But you're going to suffer for it. Would you accept those terms? If you're a Christian in this room, you already did. Just saying, you, you already did. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul said, Indeed, listen to me, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not an if or a maybe or a how much. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted because you're in a war. You're picking a fight. And the more godly and the more open you are about your faith, the more the fight is going to come to you. It's it's expected to happen. That's the point. So maybe you think I need to stop. I know this is not a great evangelistic moment. Like we have an altar call right now. Then nobody, everybody's running for the door. You know, I, I get that. But I'm, I'm just quoting what he's saying here. I'm just telling you what he's saying. People want Jesus. Listen to me. Anybody who comes faithfully to Christ wants Christ because they recognize he's the truth. They recognize he is who he says he is. That's what they recognize. Not because of what they hope they're going to gain from him or how great their life's going to become afterwards. They come because they recognize I am a broken, sinful person, and yet he still loves me. Um, he's unexplainable joy, but he's not an escape from pain. He's love, but he's not overwhelming positive feelings, you know. In him, there is freedom from the weight of sin. You know, the weight of it's the best word I know it, you know. Would you give your life for that? If not, you haven't really felt the weight of your sin yet, you know. She said, why don't you curse God and die? He said, because he is still worthy of worship. He is still worthy of worship. Job said, he gives life and he takes it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, Peter said, Christ, to who else would we go? You alone are the son of God. Jesus said on the cross, forgive them. We, they don't know what they do. All of those statements are so overwhelming. They're so powerful. Like, how could these people say these things? Uh, They punch you in the gut. But all of them require pain. Carries no weight to say that without knowing that the person is suffering or confused or struggling. How do we get, you know, how do we get through it? Well, I love how Jesus responded at Lazarus' grave. Lazarus, a close friend of his who had died, he goes to the grave and he's about to uh, do a miracle and raise Lazarus from the grave. But as he goes to the grave, he sees all these people mourning and crying that he also loves and knows. And he gets overwhelmed and he, he begins to cry. But 
how he comforts them. This is what he says. John 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked them a question. He says, have faith in God. Have faith in me. Knowing there is a bigger plan. Jesus did the same thing himself. Jesus said, or in Hebrews 12, verse 1, the author referring to Christ, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He says, And let us run with endurance the race that says before us. Watch this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who? Jesus. Who? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising his shame. Didn't say he thought it was a beautiful thing. Despising his shame. And is seated now at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, for the big picture, he's endured the cross. He didn't despise the shame, but he, he endured it. And you can go to the end of Job's story if you want. And you can see that, hey man, Job had you know twice the, the possessions when it was over. And he had a new family and all that. But uh, is that really a win? Like, let's just be honest. If you took my child right now, my one child, and you gave me two children down the road, that might be great. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me. But I'll never stop being brokenhearted because I lost my child. You know, what got him through here? Job 19, verse 25, tucked neatly in all of these chapters of Job, he makes this statement, which is amazing. This is what got him through. For I know. That, remember now, this is way Old Testament. Some argue that Job is the oldest actual book that we have. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. He's saying, I know that God, I know that Jesus, I know that God, he didn't even know the name Jesus, but he knows that God is redeeming him. God is alive and God will stand on the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, what does that mean? What happens if your skin's destroyed? Dead. Yeah, once I'm long dead, my skin is rotted and gone. Look what he says. Yet in my flesh, I will see God, which means he's anticipating a resurrection. He's saying, I will stand in my flesh again and see God face to face. And he says, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Literally saying, I can hardly catch my breath thinking about it. Man is covered in sores, scratching himself and making that statement. Job is a picture of God in Christ, he himself, a good father whose children are being killed by sinful enemies. And as a result, he himself takes on suffering, suffering at the hand of an, an enemy, yet he remains faithful. And the result is a new family. You know, so let me wrap this up a bit here. Why does God put us through suffering? Okay, why? Well, couple of things to think about it's the best and maybe only way he can teach us to trust him i mean if you can think of another way let me know it also reminds us that we're not sovereign because if we were we'd fix it it reminds us that we we're not in the control we think we're a man if covid did nothing else my goodness the point is that we can't always understand what God's doing, but we can always know he does. We can, we can always know that he, he does. So what do we do with this? Well, maybe you're hurting. 
Maybe you're in some emotional or some physical struggle right now. I don't know. Uh, as a believer, I can tell you this, though. The way that you respond to it will display what you really believe. It will display what you really believe. Do you believe he's sovereign? Do you trust him? Do you have faith in him? Do you believe your life's in his hand? Do you display his glory? Well, we can test it. How you respond to little things. I'm going to get nasty here, but how about wearing a mask? (laughs) You know, and I don't mean that you should or you shouldn't. I'm not going political here. I'm just saying your response. You, You can make a stand on things. I'm just saying the attitude here, the heart, like where are you at? Or, or political things, do they go your way? Do they continue to go your way? You know, where, where's your heart on it? How about gas prices? Lord, that's going to be a topic, isn't it? Already is, but it's going to get worse. Uh, how about when somebody you love gets cancer? Man, let me tell you something. If your wife or child suddenly faces... Let me tell you something. If your, da- if your son or daughter comes down with leukemia gas prices masks and the president suddenly are so irrelevant so irrelevant you know but what do you how do you respond to that what about you what if it's you what if you realize that something in you is now messed up or or it's not necessarily going to kill you, but maybe it's going to cripple you. What if you're in a car accident? What if a drunk driver hits you? It's not your fault at all, but you're crippled from now on. Somebody's got to feed you for the rest of your life. How do you respond? That's what will display Christ best. Not your memes on social media or your attempts to get reposts or whatever else. It's how you respond in that moment. And I, I want to close with this. I'm just going to read it to you, and I'm, I'm going to try to get through it. Uh, but this is one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard to this point, and I'm going to share it with you. And it's a true story. It comes from a book by a guy named Thomas E. Schmidt, and it says this. Just let me read it to you. Let me stick these on so I guarantee there's no slowdown here. It says, uh, on this particular day, I was walking in a hallway. He's in a, by the way, he's visiting shut-ins in a nursing home. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek and had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she'd been bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway, but I put a flower in her hand, and I said, Here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. And she held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then spoke. Much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you 
It's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see it. You know, I'm blind. <laughs> he said, uh, he goes on, I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find someone, some alert patients. I found one and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me, this was not an ordinary human being. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I'd go to her with a pen and paper to write down the things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten directions at once with all the things that I had to think about. question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and I asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, and this is what, I, what she said. I think how he's been good to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then she started to sing a hymn. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked, minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it all happened. And she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that most don't have. She had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power. That's knowing the Lord. That is knowing Christ. Maybe you can't get past today that, you know, why didn't he just do something about it? But the fact is he did. The fact is that he did. He's provided salvation for us at the cost of his own son. Our greatest suffering is death. And he came personally to deal with that at the greatest of cost. This world that he created good, that we filled with sin, he entered it and took my, I'll speak for me, took my sin on his own body climbed on a cross and had it nailed there, buried it in a grave that had no chance of holding him and came out of it alive so that by grace through faith in him, I can have that same life and that same freedom. And listen, can you say that today? No, if you, if you can't, today's the day we change that. Well, let me ask you to stand up and, and we're going to, Close up here. We're going to pray in just a second. But I want to ask you to stand up and maybe just close your eyes for a minute. And not trying to set a mood. I just want you to focus for just a second. Can you admit who you are? I mean, a sinner, can you repent and say, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this life anymore. Can you believe in who he is? A loving God who does care, who 
has come, who has conquered death for you, and can you trust what he's accomplished? That you'll never be good enough, but what he's done is. Even though you may not be able to explain it, you can trust that. Can you do that today? If you can, you need to tell him. Don't tell me, tell him. Tell him right now, however you want, your own words. Lord, you are amazing, God. And I love you so much. And it's easy to talk about these things. Well, it's not easy either, but but we can talk about these things, Lord. But if we're going through them, it's harder. Even though we know, even though we may understand what your word says, it's still hard. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in the room today that, that is suffering emotionally or physically, uh, God, that, that you would comfort their heart. Comfort them. Give them, a, refuel their heart to know that you've got a plan. That something's going on here. That you're in charge. That you're still sovereign. That though Satan may attack us, he cannot have us because, Lord, you rule all. And even he and his demons are subject to you. God, thank you for that. Pray today if anybody is suffering spiritually, that they would turn it to you. They would give their life to you, that your Holy Spirit would fill them today and change their life forever. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.